In today's gospel, St. Peter says to our Lord, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. There's a poem by the priest George Herbert, one of three poems which he entitled Love, and it goes like this. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful? Ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, Who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. Know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. This poem echoes the friendship which we see in the Gospels between Jesus and St. Peter, a friendship which begins in today's reading from Luke chapter 5 and is recounted running through all four Gospels and ending with the Gospels in the final chapter of St. John, in which many of the events of Luke 5, the night of fishing in which nothing is caught, the command from Jesus to cast nets on the other side of the boat, the miraculous catch, the conversation between Jesus and Peter, and a commission in Luke to be the fisher of men, and in John to feed the flock of Jesus. All these events are repeated. These chapters bookend the earthly friendship of Jesus and Peter. We see that from the moment that he meets Jesus, Peter is changed. That encounter gives his life a new meaning and a new direction. No longer was he to continue to lead his normal, regular Galilean fisherman life. He's to leave behind his work, his family, and everything comfortable to become a friend of Jesus and the leader of Jesus' apostles. There are points of success and of failure in that career. We know that Peter is the first to call Christ Lord. When Jesus asked the apostles, who do you say that I am? It was Peter who answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Later, though, when Jesus had been arrested and was facing trial, Peter was afraid and he denied that he even knew Jesus. Only after the ascension of Jesus and the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles does St. Peter finally come into his own. In the Acts, we see Peter at the height of his strength. Peter is a missionary bishop and pastor. Peter, the rock on which the other apostles depend. The stalwart leader of a church which is suffering pains, both of growth and of persecution. But we know, too, after the Acts had been written, that Peter would be arrested and martyred. He was crucified. At his own request, he was crucified upside down, 
because he didn't think that he was worthy to suffer the same fate as his friend and master. His body was tossed into a pit, and soon after that, over the site of his burial, the Christians of Rome would gather and offer the Eucharist which he had taught to them. St. Peter's Basilica in Rome still sits on the site of those relics. It's a rather strange career for a Galilean fisherman. The values of St. Peter's life had all been upset by his encounter with Jesus. As he says later in St. Luke, Lord, we have forsaken all and followed you. God calls each of us, just as he called Peter, to become his friends and to become his saints. Jesus calls each of us out into the deep. And in the places where we, in our very own strength, have toiled and struggled without achieving anything, Jesus draws up the vast catch, the riches of virtue and sanctity which we cannot fathom and which our small vessels cannot hold. And like St. Peter, the speaker in George Herbert's poem, this encounter and this call from Jesus and this gift from Jesus makes us aware of something inadequate, something wrong in ourselves. I am a sinful man. My soul drew back. This realization is painful, but it's very good. Because it's the dawn of reverence, of the realization that I am in the presence of one who is infinitely good, indeed, the good himself. It's the beginning of what scripture calls the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. The realization, though, is only the beginning because the Lord does not depart from us, but he says, do not be afraid. He beckons us further. Sit and taste my meat, says the lover in Herbert's poem. I think there are three summary points here for us to wrap up with. The first is that the encounter with Jesus changes our lives. There's no normal life in the secular sense of that word. There's no keeping up with people and blending in and building a good investment portfolio. Everything that makes for a normal life might be innocent in itself, but pursued for its own sake is just an impediment to sanctity. The values of life are all upset by the encounter with Jesus. No longer does it matter if I'm comfortable or if I am secure. All that matters is that I cleave to God. The second point, it is possible for me to cleave to God, not because of some power that I summon from within myself, but because God gives me strength to do so. The strength is not sheer willpower. It's the strength of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of love, the love by which God made me, by which he saves me, with which he regards me. In the end, we cleave to God because he cleaves to us, because he befriends us and would not be separated from us. Peter denies Jesus, but Jesus comes back to him and again gives him a miraculous catch and calls him to be his apostle and to feed his sheep. The third point, the encounter with Jesus is an invitation to friendship with God, to a personal relationship. We often limit the meaning of a personal relationship with God to a merely individual relationship. 
as if it were simply my relationship with God, a relationship involving no one but myself. That would not be a fully personal relationship. The personal relationship involves my full personality, my mind, my memory, and my will, my body, my work, my leisure. Everything is now involved in my relationship with Christ and therefore with everyone else who is in Christ. I do not have a solitary experience of God, but I believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church and in the communion of saints. I have a relationship with each of you and with every other baptized person, even with the saints in heaven and with the faithful departed, because I have a relationship with Christ. I have also a mission, a role in the work of Christ for the life of the world. And this is because the life of friendship is a life of communion. How do you prepare yourself for communion? The prayer book exhorts us to examine ourselves, to see that we do not come unworthily to the table of the Lord. This examination results in reverence as we prepare for that personal encounter with Jesus. Occasionally, it also results in us having that moment in which we know ourselves to be sinners. And that should lead us to the confessional, to a very painful but healing encounter with Jesus in the sacrament of confession. But always that preparation should lead us to the altar, to the outpouring of Trinitarian love, to Jesus' real presence in the Eucharistic food. Now regarding mission here in evangelism, it's probably a good question for us to ask ourselves, what does it mean for our neighborhood for the people who live around us, that we're coming together and offering the Eucharist once a week? What does that mean for others? And what does it mean for the people that I meet, that I have received the body of Christ and Christ is in me? How does this change not myself only, but those with whom I'm in relationship? In the liturgy, we are offered to the Father with Christ as living sacrifices. We are sinful men and women, but God calls us out into the deep. He calls us not to be our own masters, but to be his friends, his children, his saints. As it was for St. Peter, let it be so for us. Mm -hmm.